Hey guys, we're super excited to be with all of you as couples for this awesome weekend. I hate that we couldn't do it the way we had really planned on doing it, but I'm grateful for technology so that we can kind of just come right into your living room and hopefully speak a little truth that will help your marriage during these particular days. And our first session that we're gonna start on is spiritual intimacy. But before we dive right into it, just wanna introduce you to my wife. This is Krista and I'm Levi, I forgot to tell you that. But Krista's gonna tell you a little story about how we met, so go for it. So we met um, at Shorter College, which is now university. Um, he had been there a year already, so he was a sophomore and I showed up as a freshman. And, you know, taking in all the new things about college and I was not looking to, for a boyfriend, you know, I just wanted to start school and all those fun things that came with college. So I went to a Bible study and everybody's in the room, you know, telling about their summer and what the Lord had taught them, that kind of thing. And then this guy, tall, skinny, looks like Woody kind of guy, yeah, busted me. in the back door and said, what y'all doing, testifying? Yeah. So um, everybody cracked up and they're like, Levi, you know. So um, that's the first time I saw Levi. We didn't meet that night, but um, a few nights later in the dining hall at, at school, he walked up to my table and said, you know, so what's your name and are you a Christian? Just like that. And so I said, yes. And then um, I ended up going to his church that night with a whole group of people from college. Then um, a couple of nights later, we're at a talent show thing they had at school. And he very romantically asked me out to Waffle House. That's right, they cook in front of you there. It's very <laughs> fancy. So that was the first time that we went out. And um, what he didn't know, of course, because we just met, um, was that years before when I was a teenager, growing up in my youth group, I read a book about dating, um, a book called Lady in Waiting, which is a great book for young girls. <laughs> And I, I felt like through that book that God was impressing on my heart that the guy that I would marry would pray with me on the first date. And I kind of tucked that away in my mind, never told anybody about it, of course. That would scare boys away, don't do that. Um, but after that first Waffle House date, um, I remember him driving up on campus to Shorter and he like wheeled it into the parking space really fast. And he said, let's pray. And of course my eyes are huge. Like what in the world? I just met this guy. Why is he praying me, with me right now? And I guess I'm gonna marry him. But I didn't tell him that cause that would scare him off. But just from the very beginning, um, God answered that prayer of my heart that the guy that I would marry would be a guy that was so focused on him that prayer would be important, that our spiritual walks with the Lord would be important. Um, so that's you know why this session is gonna be so important today as we talk about spiritual intimacy, our relationships being built on God's best for us as a couple. That's right, and what's interesting too is I never really had prayed with anybody before. So I remember driving up and like the Lord was saying, you need to pray with this girl. And I remember thinking, in my mind, like, Lord, I'm not praying with her. She's gonna think I'm some super spiritual person, right? I don't, I'm, that's not me. And uh, anyway, I just gave in and now I'm glad I did. <laughs> Can I get a witness? But anyway, so uh, spiritual intimacy. So let's talk a little bit about what that actually is and kind of have a quick little definition, but spiritual intimacy is a sense of unity and mutual commitment to God's purpose for our lives and marriage along with a respect for the special dreams of each other's hearts. So that really is a good picture and definition of spiritual intimacy. And really the goal of this session is for us to be able to give you some tools, 
for spiritual intimacy, just to help you, right? And here's the thing. You can get all the tools in the world, but if you don't actually take the tools out of the toolbox and use them, it makes no difference whatsoever. But the great news is that the tools we're going to give you are really biblically based. As a matter of fact, I want you to know that Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that every single thing that you need to live a life of godliness, you received at the moment of salvation. But spiritual maturity, now check this out, it doesn't happen automatically. You've got to supply spiritual disciplines in your life in order to cooperate with God's work in you. And that's not only true in your life as an individual, but that's also true in your marriage. So this entire series uh, for this particular uh, marriage conference is just going to be putting tools in front of you. And what our challenge is, is that you would exercise those tools, use them. So as we start this session, a few things just to think about when it comes to marriage. Uh, one thing is sometimes married couples think, you know, if they're not arguing, that their marriage is sweet, right? So there's no arguing going on. We're not yelling at each other. There's no passive aggressive behavior happening. So our marriage is good. Well, here's the thing. Don't measure your marriage based upon how many arguments you have, right? Because just not having arguments doesn't mean that you're experiencing God's very best for your marriage. And what I want you to know is that God really does have a desire not only for you to grow closer to Him as an individual, but also for your marriage to grow closer to Christ. So you, you lean into that and you begin to experience God's best. And then here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about marriage. And really, I don't think, you know, we realize that we kind of grew into this, but God wants to use your marriage uh, really as a resource to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out to other couples. So this is massive how the Lord really does begin to build you in your walks together so that he can use you to influence other people for the sake of the kingdom. So those are a couple of things that are going to be true about marriage as we start today. Um, but there are also a couple of things that are true about you as we start today. First, I believe that you want your marriage to be stronger or else you wouldn't be tuned in. You wouldn't be listening to these sessions. Some of you are doing okay, but I know from the statistics, you know, that you can pull up on Google that some of your marriage really, really stink. And you're kind of keeping that within the four walls of your home. But the truth is your marriage is not what God desires for it to be, not what you want it to be either. Secondly, um, and I think this is a hopeful statement, but I believe you're going to actually put into practice what you learned this weekend from um, God's Word, from just um, practical teaching that you're going to hear this weekend. But we want you to experience a greater kingdom-focused marriage. That's our desire for you. So um, like he said, pick up these tools, put them to work, and start doing the hard work it takes to have a marriage that glorifies God. So um, Levi, why don't you pray for us as we get started? Yeah, we'd love to do that. Let's do that. So Father, thank you for this time, uh, this entire conference. And we do pray for every single marriage that's tuning in now, that you just speak truth to their hearts, that they might be strengthened, and that really marriages would uh, experience your very best for them. And we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, so here's the thing with marriage, and I'll kind of come out of the gate with it. The, the marriage that you have, the marriage that Chris and I have, is supposed to be an earthly picture of a heavenly truth. And this is massive here. Marriage is supposed to reflect the love of Christ, which he has for the church and vice versa. So marriage is an earthly tool to shout this heavenly truth. 
And what's the truth? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's the thing. I'm of the deep, deep conviction that the gospel flows through relationships. So as a result, I believe the gospel should flow through the relationship of marriage. And your marriage and my marriage really are simply streams through which the gospel of Jesus Christ sails to make an impact upon other marriages. Matter of fact, I would say it to you like this, and the way I wrote it down here in my notes is that the gospel flows through relationships. Now picture a boat called the gospel flowing through the river of your marriage. And at the same time, think about this. God wants to use your marriage as a witnessing tool as the gospel flows into the lives of other married couples. Now, the enemy of our souls wants to build dams, as it were, in the context of that river so that the gospel doesn't flow. That's why the enemy wants to attack your marriage. That's why he also wants to attack my marriage. And I will tell you kind of just my heart, I'm an evangelist at heart, so I, I wanna see people come to faith in Jesus. I want as many people to hear the gospel as possible. But one thing that I've realized is that People don't just need to hear the gospel when they show up to church on a Sunday morning. They need to hear the gospel from you. They need to see it in your marriage. They need to hear it from your life and also see it from your life. So how do you kind of really experience spiritual intimacy? And we're just gonna give you a, a few takeaways here, but here's the very first one. When you are experiencing spiritual intimacy, you are a couple that is spirit controlled. Now this is huge. When I say spirit controlled, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And here's what the Bible teaches. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. That is, the Spirit of God resides now within your body, just as Paul said. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now sometimes when we think about this, we only think about how this works in the context of a church. But that's not the only time that the Spirit of God wants to use you when you show up at church. God wants to see the Spirit at work in your life, even in the context of your marriage. So there's a passage of scripture in the book of Romans, Romans chapter six to be exact, and uh, beginning in verse 12, that actually challenges you and I to kind of see that at any point in our time in our lives that we can be surrendered to the Spirit of God, that is being controlled by Him, or we are surrendered to sin in our lives. So, so listen to what Paul says. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, whereby you obey its lust and desires. But instead, what you need to do is present the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under the law, but now you are under grace. So I want you to think about it like this. When it comes to your life as an individual husband, as an individual wife, if you're a follower of Jesus, at any moment, you are either being controlled by the Spirit of God or you're being controlled by sin. And here's the thing, sin was fired when you came to faith in Jesus. So think about this for just a moment. When you came to faith in Jesus, while sin was fired, sin's no longer your boss, Sin loves to still try to creep back in there and tell you what to do, tell you how to think, tell you how to talk, tell you how to act. So you've got to realize that this old manager no longer has dominion over you. He no longer has the right to tell you what to do. So you've got to stop listening to him, just like I've got to stop listening to sin in my own life. And then whenever we do this, we begin to surrender ourselves to our new manager. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then begins to work in and through our lives, changing us 
And as a result, when you know the Spirit of God is changing me, my wife experiences the blessings of that. And as the Spirit of God changes her and controls her, I experience the blessings of that as well. And then together as one, we begin to experience the great blessings of being a Spirit-controlled marriage. That's good. Um, when a couple is controlled by the Spirit, it will be evidenced in your lives individually. And you just saw the first evidence of this being a live recording because my Bible's on the floor and I thought that would be weird if I grabbed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, Ephesians 5, um, 19 and 20 says, chapter I can't five. even find it. Yes, chapter five. <laughs> there you go. Um, this is his Bible. That's why I can't even read it. You know, how you know your own Bible. Um, it says in chapter five, verse 18, actually, it says, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to God the Father. Don't you guys speak to your husbands in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Um, I think the point of that is that when we are filled with the spirit, it does change how we act and react toward our spouse. You know, when we're filled with the Spirit, our words will be different toward our spouse. When we're controlled by the Spirit, there will be evidence of that in our lives. We'll be building each other up with our words. Um, at the same time, we'll be lifting up Christ. It says we're constantly giving thanks. So um, the subjects that we talk about are going to be um, God-honoring subjects. And the way we talk to our husband, the way we talk to our wives will be God-honoring. And then when we do that, we're going to be thinking biblically. That's the way that um, God tells us to think. You know, in Philippians 4, it says, it gives us a list. It says, think about these things, whatever's good and right and praiseworthy and excellent and noble. Um, it gives us that whole list. You know, when we're controlled by the Spirit, our thoughts, our words, and our actions are going to be different. That's right. And then also when a couple is controlled by the Spirit, they will enjoy one another's fruit. So check this out. I'm going to read to you uh, directly out of Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, what Paul does is he talks about fruits of the flesh. In other words, when sin is in control of your life, here's what your life ends up looking like. And I'm going to read this, and then you just ask if, if this is true in the context of your marriage. But here, here's what he says. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now listen to this enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now think about your marriage for just a moment. And maybe you want to look at your spouse right now and say, does that describe our marriage? You know, a lot of strife, a lot of enmity, a lot of outbursts of anger, right? If it does, then here's what we know as a fact. Somebody, and possibly both of you, are letting sin tell you how to live. So what Paul says is, stop it, right? Don't do that anymore. Don't allow sin to manage your life, but instead, let the Spirit of God take control. When He takes control, here's what shows up. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. So think about your marriage for a moment. Do those words describe your marriage? Because if they do, that's good evidence that the Spirit of God is actually in control of your life and of your marriage. And here's the thing. When Krista's being led by the Spirit of God and she's not acting, you know, in the flesh and like a sinner like she sometimes does. But anyway, so when she's not acting that way and she's actually walking with the Lord, there's something unbelievable about that just for me as a husband. I get to experience the great fruitfulness in her own life. 
And I think the same will be true as well, you know, for her and me. Whenever I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm walking with the Lord, she can, she knows that, she experiences that, and she enjoys the fruit of the Spirit of God in my life. So really and truly, um, when you and I uh, think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we exercise the fruit of the Holy Spirit by putting our faith in God and His attributes. So let me kind of just... I guess just tease this out a little bit for you so you can kind of think about it. But if you're really wanting to experience peace in your life, then what is it about God you need to really believe? All right, so I, I would argue you need to believe that God is sovereign and in control of all things. And when you know that God is sovereign and in control of all things, that bears the spiritual fruit of peace in your life. And whenever that peace shows up, that's something that your spouse actually experiences because they are now seeing you at peace. And, and the thing is this, you want your wife, right? Husbands, you want your wife knowing that you are at peace and you are experiencing peace, that you have joy and you're experiencing that as well. So all of that just makes a huge uh, difference in the context of marriage. But it also builds, you know, just free information here, it builds the entire culture of your household. Right, so if you have kids, I know Chris and I have got kids, we've got four of them. Our oldest is 16, our youngest is- Almost 11. Almost 11, thank you very much. I love them, I just can't remember their ages all the time. Uh, I know they eat every day though, I will tell you that. <laughs> but here's the thing, whenever Krista and I are walking with the Lord, it builds a culture in the house that our children experience. So if you, if you have the culture in your house of you and your spouse always arguing, fighting, you know, tearing each other down, et cetera, then guess what? If you have children, they're experiencing that as well. And they assume that's how you're supposed to live. And that's just wrong. You know that's wrong, I know that's wrong. We know scripturally that that's not how God's designed marriage to be. So whenever you're walking in tune with the Spirit of God together, your children pick up on that culture as well. And it just makes a massive, massive difference. So here's the thing, when it comes to experiencing a spirit-controlled marriage, there is a temptation for every one of us. And the temptation is that we give ourselves over to sin, that we let sin control us. And when I say this, that, that literally means that you're bowing your body to sin. So you're allowing sin to tell you how to think, you're allowing sin to tell you what to look at, you're allowing sin to tell you what to listen to, you're allowing sin to tell you how to speak, you're allowing sin to tell you what to do with your hands and your feet, your whole body. And that's why it is so important that you and I do not give ourselves over to sin. That's the temptation. But instead, we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. I love what A.W. Tozer once wrote. He says, in the heart of man, there is a shrine where none but God is worthy to come. Isn't that a good statement? In your heart, there is a, shri a shrine that none is worthy to come but God. So you gotta make sure that you are always setting Jesus Christ as Lord over your heart every single day. So here's a great question to ask, right? The question is, have I crucified my flesh today and given evidence of a spirit-controlled life? And I'll tell you, if you ask yourself just that one question on a regular basis as a husband or a wife, have I crucified my flesh and given evidence of a spirit-controlled life? I'm telling you, that will change your entire marriage, just that one question. If you're just committed to asking that on a regular basis. So anyway, that's the very first. If you want to experience spiritual intimacy, you got to make sure that both you, husband, and wife are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you're following along in your um, downloaded PDF notes, um, then you'll see these major points as we go along. The second major point in living um, 
a spiritual, spiritually intimate um, marriage is that the couple is service oriented. Now there are two ways that you can serve your spouse. Um, there's automatic service. Those are times that you just do things because you know it's the right thing to do. So I know that I need to go to the grocery store, buy food for my family, cook dinner for my husband, um, you know, keep up with laundry and those kinds of things around the house. I just know that's what I do automatically. Um, same thing with him. He just knows automatically he needs to pick up his clothes off the floor, <laughs> She's actually telling me what I need <laughs> to do right kidding. now. I'm just kidding. That was an old issue. We're, we're right. past that. We are. Um, you know, take care of things around the house, just the normal, everyday, automatic things that we do. But then there's also a second way that we serve our spouse, and that's intentionally. And this is when you go beyond just the automatic service. You actually look for ways to serve your spouse. And I like to think of it as you look for things that are important to them that may not benefit you necessarily. And those are the things that you do to serve them. So for example, um, and this is even in my notes because it literally just happened. Um, this afternoon I was helping one of our children with um, schoolwork because you know, we're schooling from home like everybody else. And um, Levi pops his head in the room and said, hey, what shirt do you wanna wear today? And I'll go ahead and iron it for you. Now, that is not automatic, that is intentional. He knew that I was under a time crunch because I needed to get whatever subject I was working on at the time. And he knew that um, I was gonna have to have something to wear. And so he was gonna go ahead and take care of that for me. I also want to make sure she looked good. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't keep going. Well, he did come in with like three shirts. <laughs> Which one? Um, another example of that is um, a few years ago, I had a major, major back surgery. Um, I had um, some discs fused in my back. And when you have that happen, you're out for, you know, three months is what I was out. So um, three months of not lifting, not bending, not doing household chores, that kind of thing. And you know, before that, one thing that was important to me is that our bed was made in the morning. I like to walk in my bedroom and the bed to be made and the pillows to all be in place. And I know that that's not important to him. Um, that's just not a big deal. He's like, we're about to get back in it. You know, why would I make it up? Especially with 12 pillows or whatever it is on the bed. But when I had that surgery and he knew that I couldn't do that, um, he picked that up. And he did that intentionally because he knew that was important to me and it had nothing to do with him wanting the bed to be made. Um, so that was an intentional act of service. Um, I keep thinking of all the things you do. That's because I'm you the should only speak one up. that serves. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I thought about um, also, um, he'll give me, not give me, but you know, if I want to do a girls' night out with some friends and go to dinner or some things like that with some girls, then he... I shouldn't say lets me, yeah, you know what I mean? I get to go do that guilt-free because he's, he encourages me. That's what I should That's say. Right. He encourages me to do that because he knows it's important to me. He knows ultimately it fills my bucket and I'm better for it. So on those nights, he says, you go, I've got dinner, I've got all the other stuff. Um, just go and have a good time. So that's being intentional in serving me. Um, there are days, I gotta think of something that I do. There you go, come on. Uh, <laughs> I know coffee is important to him. You know, he likes to start his day that way. So um, if I can beat him to the coffee pot, then I like to go ahead and uh, make his coffee and you know, bring it in there to him um, so that he can start his day that way. Just things that I know that are important um, to him, I wanna try to do those things, try to beat him to it, kind of, and do it because I know that it's important to him. And so really, one of the things is, when you think about your marriage, it's almost like a contest, right? <laughs> Who can outserve the other? 
And really, if you think about that, it gets you away from living a selfish life. Like, what is my wife going to do for me now, right? Instead of having that idea, it's like, no, I'm going to outserve her. Watch this. And so you're just moving. When you have that concept, again, that helps you live a spirit-filled life as well. Well, the temptation with this um, service-oriented couple is to be lazy. So, you know, for guys to come in from work and just have a seat and in a chair on the couch, whatever it is, and not lift a finger. I know it's been a long day. I know you're tired. Um, That's a temptation, though, to not do anything for your spouse. And then for the wife um, to never really think outside of what she wants. You know, we have a tendency to be selfish. That's how we were created in the flesh. Um, to be selfish, but we don't think beyond. We think, I'm doing enough, good grief. I'm doing the dishes, I'm doing the cooking. What else does he want? And we never kind of think beyond the automatic service to the intentional service. So laziness is the temptation here. It's the enemy to serve in one another. Um, But if we don't check it, laziness will break our spiritual intimacy and cause us to neglect serving our spouse. So a question to ask yourself um, every day at the end of the day, to go with this is how have I served my spouse today? That's an easy question um, to ask yourself. Maybe start the day that way. How can I serve my spouse today? Something that's important. There you go. That's good. And then we kind of move forward here, talk a little bit more about spiritual intimacy. Uh, And I would say just another main point is that the couple is mission-minded. The couple's mission. And this is this is pretty huge. So as I kind of share this, I'll also cast a little vision for your marriage and for the church that you're actually a part of. But something that we all have to realize as followers of Jesus is that you and I don't go on missions. We are on mission. As soon as you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you joined a worldwide missions movement that is designed to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you are not a missionary going overseas. You are a missionary right where you are. So you have to live that way as an individual, but also think about that in the context of your marriage. So God brought you together, not just to have children. God brought you together because he wanted you to have a mission-minded partner with you so that you could begin to look as a couple outside of yourselves, outside of your home and say, okay, Lord, uh, who are the unbelievers that we know, the couples that we know who do not have a relationship with Jesus? And what are we doing about it? And this is something that causes you, as well as us, to kind of lean into the lives of other people with the intent of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And I want want to kind of say this, how radically different would your marriage look if you became a mission-minded couple? It changes what you pray about, changes where you go, changes how you look at where you are. And there are many times, Krista and I, we end up, because of our four kids, we're always involved in some kind of extracurricular activity just through our children. And I'll be honest, when that first started, I was like, this is horrible. Like every single night we're going to a practice or a play, it's just getting on my nerves. But the Lord really kind of convicted me. He's like, no, I've got people there that I want to reach. And uh, you and Krista need to open your eyes. And so all of a sudden that just changed everything. So now when I would go to a ball practice or we go you know, to some extracurricular event, uh, event with our children, it's like, who are the people here who do not have a relationship with the Lord? And how can we get around them and start building a relationship so that we can share the gospel with them? So think about it, right? How different would your marriage look if you really said, who are we as a couple trying to reach for the sake of the kingdom? This is God's call, again, upon your life, right? If we're not involved in the great commission which Jesus gave to us, then we're walking outside of the divine will of God. So this is, if you want to know God's plan, purpose, and pleasure for your life, it's to be involved in the great commission. 
Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I, I've been saying this for years. She knows it because she's been with me for years. But if, if you uh, are not fishing, and I'm going to give it to you in the slang, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. Right? Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. So evidence that you're following Jesus is that you're fishing. So when you think about your marriage, the question is, are you fishing? Are you seeking to lead other people to faith in Christ? And if not, get after it. And I know, bottom line is, it will make some people feel awkward. I get that. Uh, you get a little nervous and scared about doing it. But here's what I like to tell people when they say, well, I don't know if I can do that, I'm scared to death. I always like to say, uh, well, do it scared. Right? Don't, you're going to allow fear to rule your life? Come on, man. Right? God's called us to this. So get after it. It'll radically change your marriage. Again, because you're thinking about things differently. You're praying about, about things differently. You're actually opening your eyes up to the fact that people need the Lord. And so the temptation here of a mission-minded couple is just to hide your light. That is, you're a follower of Jesus. You're, you, as, a, as a couple, you know Jesus Christ as Lord. You get around unbelievers, and instead of trying to engage them with the gospel, you, you hide your light. You just don't say anything about Jesus. You just kind of pick up whatever the conversation is that's going on there. And Jesus says, man, listen, you're the light of the world. I love this text, right? You're a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. So think about, again, what your marriage would look like if you got serious about this, but then simultaneously, think about how your church will be radically different. If you had a whole lot of couples in there saying, we're trying to reach people with the gospel, it just changes absolutely everything. So I'd encourage you to think about this, how to be a mission-minded couple. And the more couples that you have doing this in the context of your church family, the brighter the light shines, man. It just makes a huge, huge difference. So here's the question, right, on this one. Are, are we, and you think about your marriage, are we intentionally pursuing relationships with lost couples, right? Are we intentionally doing that? Or are we just like, well, if we get around some, that'd be great. Or are we saying, no, there's some right there who don't know Christ, and, and God put us here in this neighborhood to reach them. And that's something, you know, that our family sought to do. We've got folks in our neighborhood who don't know the Lord, and we've sought intentionally to, to meet them where they are and share the gospel with them. We've seen some come to faith in Jesus. We still have some who have not yet done that. And even in this, this, this crisis we're in right now, the COVID-19 crisis, something we did yesterday, and we didn't do this so I could share it here today on the <laughs> film, but we put together little cards to put in the mailboxes of everybody in the neighborhood that said, you know, my name's Levi, really I put the Skipper family. We're the Skipper family, and um, we live at, and we put our address, and then we just simply said, if you are self-quarantining, for this virus and you need help with anything, whether it be groceries or prescriptions or whatever, text us and we gave our number out, text us, we'd love to serve you during this time. So it's just a way to kind of get, get your marriage involved in actually seeking to reach people with the gospel. So are you intentionally pursuing other folks to reach them with the gospel? Yeah, that's good. So this, um, like he said, this couple is mission-minded and then um, the next major point is a spiritually intimate couple is a ministering couple, which is very similar. Um, missions, meaning we're um, reaching lost people specifically. Ministering, meaning um, this could be believers, you know, that we're ministering to. But um, this means that we're serving side by side. Don't get so caught up in serving that we don't serve alongside one another. We see this a lot. 
Um, and I guess I love this point because of the way that we started. When we first started dating, Levi was a youth pastor and then a college pastor, even while we were in college. And I remember how many times we re up, you know, at the church office, like making things. We um, went to apartment complexes and ministered to people together. That's how we started. Um, so I just love this point that we get to continue to do that, um, to minister to people together. And we've done that, obviously been in the ministry, but we don't do that because we're in the ministry, because, you know, he's a pastor. Mm -hmm. That's not the reason we do it. We do it because we love people. Um, so a lot of times what we see in churches is that we have his and hers ministries and there's nothing wrong with that because we're gifted differently. So let's say that I'm on praise team. He doesn't do music. So he's in the parking lot, parking cars. Um, I'm in the nursery. He's, um, I don't know, fixing a coffee, a greeter, yeah. whatever it is. And we do these different ministries, which is great. We need people to do that. But there should be a time when our ministries intersect and we get to minister together. So some of those things could be that we sign up for nursery together, which I know is not everybody's favorite, <laughs> but we would get to do it together. We um, do youth ministry together. We go outside the church. We work in food banks. We um, do parachurch ministries. Our family has served in a ministry that many of you guys know about um, to cancer families. So that's a, a ministry that we intentionally do as a family together side by side. So find those places that you can do some ministry together and your um, gifts intersect. And this is going to be build great unity in your marriage and will enrich your marriage <laughs> enrich your marriage beyond your imagination. So I'm excited for you. This is an exciting thing for you and your spouse to start brainstorming. What can we do? We've got a little extra time on our hands. Um, what can we do to minister together side by side? And one of the greatest tools that God has given you for ministry is your home, um, which is a funny thing to talk about right now because we're not allowed to have anybody in our home. But when all this passes and, and the air clears, um, do think about um, hospitality. That's a, a ministry that the Bible talks about. You know, 1 Peter 4 9 says, be hospitable to one another. Use your home as a place to do ministry. So have other couples over and you don't have to bring out the podium and preach a sermon. That's not what it's about. It's about you connecting with other couples and encouraging other couples. Um, so ask yourself, what is another Christian couple that you and your spouse, spouse can do life with? I'm getting all kinds of tongue tied. <laughs> this is for real. This, <laughs> this right. recording is real. Um, so what's another couple that you can connect with, that you can encourage and do life with? And then what is the temptation? The temptation is to be closed off. Mm. Um, you don't seek to spend time with other couples. And we're guilty of this because of busy, 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 that it's a much easier to do the six of us and not make time to do this ministry thing together. But it's so important. We ignore others who are in the same life stage as us, the same struggles as us, and then we keep on living our marriage like we're our own little island. And that's not a good thing. That's not how God designed the New Testament church, and that's not what God wants for our marriage either. Um, so don't do that. Spend time with couples or um, one couple that you can kind of connect with, do life with, um, do ministry with, and minister to. So the question for this is, who is another Christian couple that you are intentionally spending time with? 
Which is a great question. And that kind of leads us to this last characteristic we're going to talk about as far as spiritual intimacy is concerned. And that is that as a couple, you are a mentoring couple. And this is pretty huge, right? Because we talked about being mission-minded, talked about being ministry-minded, but now we're talking about being mentor-minded. God has brought some of you through a lot of things and taught you a lot of things. And he didn't just teach you that so you kind of you know get all the truths and collect them all for yourself. He taught those to you because he wants you to invest those into the lives of other married couples. So as a mentor-minded couple, what you really do is you open your eyes most likely to your church family. And you look for those couples in the context of your church family who may be struggling. And you come alongside those couples and you actually build relationships with them. And this isn't like a, uh, you know, I would call this passive investment as opposed to active investment. So what Chris and I are doing right now with you as a couple is active investment. We're teaching, right? So this is active. But whenever you're a mentoring couple, like you're not just going to have people over your house and be like, all right, now let me teach you all a lesson about marriage. That'd be weird, first of all. But what you're doing is you're, you're having passive investment. So they're actually watching how your marriage operates, how you talk to one another, how you build one another up, how you have a good time. And they see this and that influences them. So think about that. And here's the thing, you know, I, I, you know, you know marriages in the context of your church family who've got issues right, because the word sometimes gets out. And so what ends up happening sometimes is you start calling people it's like, do you hear about so-and-so? So here's what I'd say to that. Don't do that anymore. All right, that's called gossip, quit sinning, all right? What you want to do instead is call the people that you're hearing about and touch base with them. Get around them, invest in them. Again, those people are struggling, man. You gotta, you know, as Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens, right? Come alongside those people, they're struggling. And if there's passive investment that happens in that context, take advantage of that, right? But mentor others and help others, that is absolutely huge. And again, the temptation here is to just not care about marriages around you. Right, so you go to church, you do your thing, you hear that there are couples maybe in your small group who are struggling, and you're like, well, I'm glad it's not us, right? Forget them. No, don't. that's totally uh, the unbiblical way to think and to act. Instead, lean into that. And here's the thing, could you, I kind of throw a little, could you imagine out there again, but could you imagine how radically different your church would be if you began to minister to and mentor other couples? And here's the thing, some of you may be listening to this today and you're thinking, good night, mentor. There's no way we can mentor people. We need to be mentored. All right, well, what are you doing about that, right? Who are you calling? What other couple do you see in the context of your life that you're like, you know what? In 10 years, I'd love for our marriage to look like that. Well, reach out to them. Start spending time with them. That's how you get it, right? So this is just huge. Again, this uh, spiritually intimate couple is experiencing so many different things together because they are living the life of Christ with one another. Now, the temptation, again, is to just not care about marriages that are around us. The major question is, who's a couple we can seek to invest in? So let me just very quickly, I'm going to kind of go through all of them real quick just to refresh your memory. Spiritually intimate couples, and here's the thing, I don't want you to look at all these and go, good night, there's so much there, there's no way we can do any of these. Well, start with one and just start knocking that one out of the park and then say, all right, we're gonna move on to the next one now. So again, spirit controlled, 
right? And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is, you've trusted Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin, and you've entrusted your life to Him, you're, you're redeemed. So now the Spirit of God lives within you. Holy Spirit wants to control you. Service-oriented, how am I serving my spouse? Mission-minded, who are we seeking to reach with the gospel? Ministry-minded, how are we serving Jesus together? And then a mentor mind, who are we seeking to invest in? And again, when you begin to exercise these tools in your life, just a radical difference takes place in the context of your marriage. So get after it, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would agree. Now, what do we do? We just want to pray yeah. for them? Or well, you I was going to say, else? you also have a question to go with each of those. That's right. So at the end of this session, that'd be a great time to just um, pause and take a little break, get a snack, and go through those five questions. There's a question that goes with each of those points. That's right. All right. And uh, hey, guys, I know you feel awkward having the conversation. Get over it. All right, just do it anyway, man. It'll make a massive difference. Let me pray for you, then we'll roll out from this session. God, thank you for these couples. Put your hand on them, speak truth into their hearts, and I pray in the conversation that they have next that they would experience your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.